Christ. If you will, turn in the Scriptures to Acts 17. Acts chapter 17. Uh, today may be a, a, a different sort of message. Uh, I hope to preach through... Um, hope to start preaching through uh, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. So I want to preach a series through 1 Thessalonians. And uh, today is going to sort of be just an introductory uh, message, a setting some context, some background. Uh, so while this is an epistle, this is a letter written specifically to the believers in Thessalonica or to the church of the Thessalonians, as Paul says there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, and while we need to, uh, when we're interpreting Scripture, or hermeneutics uh, is what we call it, um, we do what's called the, the uh, grammatical historical uh, method of interpretation, and that is the, the original author is writing to the original audience. But while that's true, make no mistake, the Word of God is alive today. It's just as alive as, as it has ever been. It's just as inspired. It's just as sufficient. It's just as relevant. It's just as authoritative now as it was in the year of our Lord, 50 or 51, which is probably when Paul wrote this letter. So, remember, we want to remember this historical context. It's, it, is, it is of primary importance but make no mistake, we should also consider this, you should consider this a personal letter from the pen of the Apostle Paul through the Holy... Let me say this. From the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul to you and I today at Grace Chapel Primitive Baptist Church in February 2024. One thing about this, uh, this message today is one, one of my desires is that it will inspire you to want to read through the Acts, to read Acts uh, with a fresh sense of, of awe and maybe a fresh sense of zeal and excitement for the Lord, to be zealous about the Lord's work, and also to read 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is a short book. It's five chapters. I'm not a fast reader, and it takes me about 12 minutes to read. It's 12 minutes to read. That's not very long. And if you're driving, it takes uh, approximately 11 minutes and 48 seconds to listen to. So it does not take much of your time, and it will be well, well worth it. Um, but that being said, I will not be in First Thessalonians very much today, because Acts 17 is where it tells the story of how the church at uh, Thessalonica got started. And so that's where we'll be, um, and, re- and just giving a, a, lot of, a lot of historical background. This is, so, this is exciting stuff, the early church. Uh, it's exciting. It's also very dangerous. Um, but just to see the way the Lord works uh, through the Apostle Paul and, and Timothy and Silas uh, and, and see the way the Holy Spirit uh, touches, uh, transforms the lives of unbelievers. Um, before I read, just give, give a little bit of background. This very well could be uh, Paul's first epistle that he ever wrote. Uh, and then the second epistle to the Thessalonians is just written probably a few months, maybe three or four months after uh, the first. Um, Thessalonica was a very prominent city in Macedonia, which is modern-day Turkey. It was very prominent. It was on the uh, Aegean Sea, and so with, with, the, with the sea being there, there was much trade happening. The economy was booming. Uh, things were just going really well in Thessalonica from a human standpoint. And as you can imagine, um, a lot of idolatry was, was rampant. Um, the Greco-Roman and Egyptian gods were the, god, the little g gods being worshipped. Um, 
Jesus was despised. I um, thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, the way Thessalonica got, got the town, the city got its name, was uh, the sister of Alexander the Great, who was um, the wife of, of the Macedonian king Cassander. Her name was Thessalonica. So maybe if I become king one day, I'll name a town Ada after my daughter. I don't know. Let's read Acts chapter 17, verse, um, start in verse 1. won't read the whole chapter, probably through, uh, probably through 10 or so. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. And three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, please note verse 3, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few, But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also." Whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the king to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. I'll stop there. So, just a background, backing up to Acts chapter 16, Paul is in his second missionary journey. Um, he is in a place called Troas, and Paul at this point is probably a little bit discouraged and maybe frustrated because he's tried to go to two or three different uh, other places, and it says that the Spirit suffered him not to go. He was not God, it was just not in God's providence for him to go to these certain other places, Mysia and Bithynia, I think they're called. And so I can imagine Paul is, is a bit frustrated. Do you ever get frustrated maybe when your plans, the way that you think, you just know this is the right thing to do, but yet there are roadblocks and doors are shut? Well, Paul, at this point, he's in Troas. At this point, he receives a vision at night. He receives a, a dream, a vision. And a man from Macedonia, which I said is it's modern-day Turkey, uh, cries out to him, beckons him, come into Macedonia and help us. And I love Paul and Silas and Timothy's um, reaction. When, when he receives the vision by night, come over into Macedonia and help us. It says, and after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Paul and his crew were ready to go. They were about the master's business. That's one thing that I hope that we get from 
this whole, uh, the, the, the book of 1 Thessalonians is that we will be about the master's business. That is one thing that we will see from the church of the, of the Thessalonians. That they were about the master's business. They were busy in the kingdom. So immediately, they go, uh, they go to Macedonia, and one of the other chief cities of Macedonia, the first stop is to Philippi. We know much about Philippi in the book, his letter to the Philippians. We know Brother Zach has written a commentary uh, on Paul's letter to the Philippians that I encourage everyone to get. Um, so they go to Philippi, and you'll remember that after being there a few days, they, on the Sabbath day, they hear that there's a group of ladies that meet for prayer down by the riverside. They have a prayer meeting with these ladies. And Paul and, and Silas and Timothy go down there with, with Lydia and these other ladies who are meeting for prayer. And Paul preaches to them, and they turn from their sins. God opens their eyes. Uh, he gives them spiritual eyes to see. And lo and behold, a church is started in Philippi. Well... You know, it's been said that in, in the midst of persecution, when it's really dark, the light, light tends to shine brighter. So while this, this amazing thing is happening in Philippi, Paul, while they're, they're having a, a prayer meeting, Paul comes upon this young slave girl, this young girl, I, I, can, I don't know how old she is, probably a, a teenager, I would, I, would, uh, I would venture to guess, um, and she is possessed with a, with a, a demonic spirit. Um, and sadly, uh, she, she is um, able to, to engage in soothsaying or probably like fortune-telling. It really means to, to, to be mad, to speak outside of yourself. There is, there is a, 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 a dark spirit that's speaking um, through this, this young girl, and uh, her masters, the ones that have enslaved her, are making a lot of money off her. Because people are coming in, well, you know, tell me my future, tell me this, and, and this, this girl is, is doing this. And so they're making a lot of money off this girl. And it's, it's utter darkness. It's, it's demonic activity. And it says Paul is grieved at this. And in other versions, it, it says practically Paul was annoyed at this. He, was, he said, I, I will not stand for this anymore. And so what does he do? He commands that, that spirit in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of that girl. And just one, one thing from that, listen, darkness is all around us. When it seems like, like sin and the, the, the culture of darkness has the upper hand and it seems like Christians can be so weak and frail and, and maybe in our um, sinful nature, in our frustration, in our discouragement, we can think that, well, maybe Jesus and God's word is kind of weak too. Let me tell you something. Demons tremble at the name of Jesus. There is power. There truly is power in the name of Jesus Christ. And whenever, what happens, what happens when you walk into a dark room? I've used this because this happened recently again. But right when we get the baby to sleep, I walk into the dark room and I didn't put up something I was supposed to put up and I bang my toe into it and it makes a loud racket and the baby wakes up. What's my point? It's darkness. But what happens when you go into a dark room and you turn on the switch. Light, darkness immediately goes away. Light triumphs over darkness. And so that's what happens to this girl. The light triumphed over darkness. Well, you can imagine, after, after uh, the power of Jesus causes the Spirit to come out of this girl, what happens? Well, her masters are upset. They're furious. Why? 
Because it says their hope of gain, their hopes of gain is gone. It means the way they were making their money off this girl, it's gone. And so they're furious. And they start a riot. They bring Paul and Silas to the marketplace. They, they bring them before the, the magistrates. And it says that, that, that these men are... Where am I? Yes, it says, these, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rises up together against them. And guess what they do, Paul and Silas? They start a riot. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine this. How would you like to have your clothes completely torn off of you in front of a whole bunch of people who hate you and want you dead? That's what happened to Paul and Silas. They were stripped completely naked. They were whipped with many stripes, it says. Whipped with many stripes. They were arrested, cast into prison. And of course, naturally, what would you do? Of course, Paul and Silas, what's their natural uh, inclination to sing praises and pray, pray to God, right? Of course, that wasn't natural. That was supernatural. That was the Holy Spirit inside of them. Obviously, I can imagine they're probably very humiliated. They're embarrassed. They're physically in pain after being beaten. Um, they are no doubt discouraged. Yet, what do they do? They, there's nothing else to do at that point. They just praise. They praise and they pray. And I know Brother Isaac uh, spoke on this a couple months ago that, that it's no doubt they probably sang some of the, the, hymn, the psalms that they sang were probably very sorrowful Psalms that may have not just been, you know, praise him, praise him. It may have not have been that. It may have been some very sorrowful uh, psalms, yet they went to God. And again, the power of the Holy Spirit moves mightily. You know the story. The earth begins to quake. The prison doors are open. The chains of all the prisoners in this, in this uh, jail, this, this prison cell, are, are, their, their chains are loosed. Of course, the jailer is about to get the sword kill himself. Paul says, do yourself no harm. We're all here. The man comes trembling. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and all your house, and you will be saved. And in God's amazing providence, the Philippian jailer, he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's converted. He and his household, they're baptized. Well then, Paul, listen, I could, I could spend all day on this, so I, I know I need to move along. Paul and Silas, from that point, travel about, um, about 105 miles. They go to Thessalonica. That's, that's when Paul and Silas go to Thessalonica. And that's where I want to camp out for the rest of the time. And I want us to notice... The first thing, and really the main thing, the primary thing that I want us to notice um, is the message that Paul preached. How was this church at Thessalonica started? It started with a message, with a truth, with a reality. So it says in verse 1 of Acts 17, Now when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews... And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Listen, this is really an amazing thing. Some commentators think that they were actually there longer than three weeks, but there's not really any proof. We don't know that. What we know is 
They reason, he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures for three weeks, three different Sabbath days. Listen, the Lord can do what He wants to do. The Lord is powerful. And it may only take three weeks for a church to get started and for a revival to happen. And that's what appears to happen here in Thessalonica. Um, he reasons... Uh, okay, so here's the message. Verse 3, he reasons them with, reasons with them out of the Scriptures, out of the Old Testament Scriptures. That's the only... You know, the Jews at this time, unbelieving Jews, were still looking for the first coming of the Messiah. They're still looking. There's many Orthodox Jews who are still looking for Jesus to come, the Messiah to come. Praise God, if your eyes have been opened to see Jesus Christ, you're looking for Him to come too. But it's the second time. It's the second time without sin unto salvation where He will wrap this thing up and where He is going to destroy the evil once and for all. He's going to burn, burn this thing up and then recreate a new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. If your eyes have been opened to see that, Praise God. Praise God. You are rich. You are rich. So, he reasons, them, reasons with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. That's the message. That's the message. And you know what? That's the same message that Paul would preach in uh, Acts 13. In Acts chapter 13, when he's in Antioch, Paul preaches the same message. You know, there have been, sadly, uh, one prominent, uh, prominent pastor who, uh, who has said things like, uh, it's time for us to unhitch from the Old Testament. That, that when, we're, when we're sharing Christ with others, we don't, we don't need to use the Old Testament. Because that, that can be kind of grimy, right? It can be kind of gory, and, and there's things we may want to want to sugarcoat or hide in the Old Testament. This is the, the message of the gospel, brothers and sisters, is in all 66 books of the Holy Scriptures. This is the message that started this church at Thessalonica. In Acts chapter 13, verse 26, this was Paul's message, and I can imagine it was a very similar message to what he preached in Thessalonica. He says, Acts 13, 26, he says, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew Him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning Him. And though they found no cause of death in Him, yet yet desired they Pilate that He should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them, which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, 
I will give you the sure mercies of David. Notice verse 35. If you've been here on Wednesday nights, you'll know, you'll know we've been going through, Brother Isaac's been going through Psalm 110. Notice what Paul's going to quote here in verse 35. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Psalm 110, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on a sleep and was laid unto the fathers and saw corruption. But he, Jesus, whom God raised, saw no corruption. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was God from all eternity. He is, the I am, he is the same I am that I am who spoke to Moses in the burning but unconsumed bush there in Exodus 3 on Mount Horeb. He, is God, he has never not been God, yet He willingly became a man. It says He must need suffer. He had to suffer. Why? Because you and I have broken God's holy law. We have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of of God and God to really be God to really be a just God has to punish sin to truly be just to truly be God he has to punish sin he cannot sweep sin under the rug he cannot wink at sin and just let it slide he's a holy God brothers and sisters in Christ and so what does he do For those who do not know Him, they suffer what all of us deserve to suffer. And that is damnation forever for those who do not know Christ. But for those that He has chosen sovereignly before the foundation of the world, and Paul will talk more about this in in 1 Thessalonians uh, 1. We'll get to this later, but the, the beauty of election, of sovereign election, For those whom He has sovereignly chosen Christ, He sent His only Son, God, to become an actual man, actual flesh and blood. Because the only way of salvation is for God to become a man, for someone perfect to be able to pay the sin debt that you and I deserve to pay but could never fully repay. And so He sent the God-man came to earth to bear the wrath of the Father. To bear the just wrath of the Father for all the sins of His people. And that is the message. That He who is without sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, became sin. He was made to be sin so that we would become righteousness. So you and I, who are the opposite of righteous, we are utterly unrighteous. And the one who is the epitome of righteousness, of purity, he is undefiled, he is without blemish, becomes unrighteous as he takes on our unrighteousness on him on himself on his own self on his own body peter would say so that we who are unrighteous would be righteous we can wear if you're in christ today you wear the robes of righteousness praise god i hope i hope we can in a fresh way uh, 
be in all of this, be in just utter gratitude and praise and worship for our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the message that Paul preached. He opened and alleged that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again. I heard a man say, we thank God He must needs redeem us in order to give us our redemption, but He also must needs, I think this is Matthew Henry, He must also needs to have risen again to apply that redemption. Because if Jesus, if this man, Jesus of Nazareth, suffers on this tree, suffers on this cross, the agony of the cross, again, I know I've, I've said this before, this is all, this is uh, really uh, made an impression on me, but you, you know when you say, man, and, and there are many people here who have suffered horrible physical pain, but when you say, I'm in excruciating pain. You know where that comes from. Ex crux, out of the cross. That, 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 is where, that is the epitome of excruciating pain that Jesus suffered. But, so He suffers this, this great agony and suffers this weight, this burden that, that you and I could never suffer. But then He's, if He's still dead, well, it, it, was, it was nothing. It was, it was utter vanity. It didn't accomplish one thing. And see, that's what separates Christianity from all other religions, is that we preach an empty tomb. We preach He is risen from the dead. We preach a living Savior. Yes, one who really was dead. He was dead in a tomb for three days, actually rose again. That is the exclusivity of Christ. That's the exclusivity of Christianity. That's what sets us apart. And that's the message that Paul preached. And that's the message, that's the foundation on which the church at Thessalonica was started. So, what happens? What happens? Well, it says, and some of them believed. Praise God, some of them believed. Those who who God opened their eyes, some of them believed. They consorted with Paul and Silas. They joined up with Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas, slow down Nathan, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. So there are many who who believed, who this message rang true to them, that the Holy Spirit had opened their hearts and eyes, and it had called them out of darkness and into His marvelous light, and they believed, and they joined with Paul. But then it says... But the Jews which believed not, there were many Jews who believed not. It says they were moved with envy. And so what do they do? It says they take certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. That's, that's basically the, the rabble, the roughnecks. The ones who, the troublemakers in the town. And they start a riot. They go find Paul and Silas. They're staying in, in a man's house named Jason, who's a, clearly a, a faithful man. And they, they go into Jason's house and they bring Paul and or they, they bring um, Jason out. And they're looking for Paul and Silas. Their, their, their message is they, they want Paul and Silas dead. You know what they say? It's, it's really funny to me. It says in 17:6, it says, "And when they found them not, they, they looked for Paul and Silas, but, but Jason, they were able to get Paul and Silas out of town to Berea. 
It says, When they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I remember Brother Thomas Mann said, It's more like they turned the world right side up instead of upside down. But what were they so angry about? What were they so angry about? It says, it says, these who, who have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. See, in, many, in, in that time, it, it was okay to, if you want to, you know, have, have a, you, you believe in Jesus, that's fine, but as long as you declare Caesar is king, Caesar is Lord. And so, so it's okay. I mean, you, if you want to you know, have these, these gatherings on the Sabbath day, whatever, that's fine. But as long as you know that Caesar is Lord, well, Paul is preaching a different message here. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Christ is king, not Caesar. Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. Jesus Christ is God, not Caesar. Well, you know, we're here, again, worshiping God and freedom I was just mentioning in, in the prayer service how, I don't know if you've been following at all, it, it has not gotten enough attention from the mainstream media, but there are Christians today in Indonesia and in Nigeria and in other places who, who just, just a couple of young pastors, I think this week or last week, maybe the week before, were kidnapped from their church and nobody knows where they are now. God knows where they are, but, but they, are, they are lost. They are missing for their faith in Jesus Christ. There are, are um, churches that have been, church buildings that have been, uh, burned down. This is this is this is now. This is going on in January into February of 2024. Um, so, but for you and I today, and I praise God for this. We we worship in freedom. We worship without fear of that for right now. And so it could be very be very easy, maybe for us to say, yes, Christ is King, not Caesar, or or, or Christ is King, and, and and nobody else, not the president or, or whatever. Jesus is king. But these men are saying it when their lives are truly in danger, when it is the worst thing you could say, humanly speaking, for your physical safety to say Christ is king and not Caesar. Yet, these men are saying it. Well, you know, Paul... Paul, was used, of course, was used greatly by the Lord, but Paul was not a superhuman... Paul is not a superhuman. I think we see that from, from uh, uh, Romans chapter 7. When I would do good, evil is present with me. And Paul was a sinner just like you and I. Paul had struggles just like you and I. Paul got lonely um, just like you and I. So I want that to be an encouragement that, and I want us to take courage. I, I, that's, that's one thing I want us to get from, from the whole series and from the message today is to take courage and let, let's be bold and courageous to stand up for Christ. But also, that, all, that also means you and I who are weak at times and, and at times feel ashamed or, or just don't feel like, I, I can't do this, I'm going to get laughed at or whatever the case is. Listen, Paul was a human just like you and I. Silas was a human just like you and I. Timothy, Timothy, timid Timothy. Timothy, who was one who he one thing he was known for was his timidity, his cowardice at times. When he says, God hath not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, that word fear actually means cowardice. So Timothy struggled with being a coward, just like I do. And so 
my point is these are real men. Yet, the grace of God is with them, and they are able to stand up boldly even when it is unpopular. And so, Paul and Silas have to flee. They have to get out of town. Um, They have to get out of town to Berea, which is probably about 45 miles away from Philippi, because this mob there, they've gotten Jason where Paul and, and, and Silas and Timothy were staying, staying, and they were, they were looking for Paul and Silas. They wanted them dead, no doubt. And here's the amazing thing. The same thing happens in Berea. Paul preaches in Berea. He preaches the same message of the gospel in Berea. And guess what happens? People believe. The Holy Spirit moves. People are converted to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you would think that this, these lewd fellows of the baser sort, this, this troublemaking mob, well, now that he's out of town, he's out of Philippi, we're going to worry about our, our city. He's gone from there. That's good. They find out what's happening in Berea, and that same mob travel the 45 miles from uh, Thessalonica to Berea and do the same thing. They start another riot and so, and so then Paul and Silas have to go, I'm sorry, Paul goes by himself this time to Athens and then to Corinth. And it's probably in Corinth where he is writing this letter. You'll remember the noble Bereans, I believe Brother John mentioned, mentioned that in their prayer. They were, they were more noble than the Jews at Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures to see if the things that Paul was preaching was so or not. And so Paul writes this letter. He writes this letter to a people who are young Christians. This church, when he writes the letter, that's still less than a year old. It's still just maybe six, seven, eight months old when he writes this letter. And I'm just going to close the message, a shorter message. It's just, again, I just wanted an overview to set, set some context, set, set a foundation. Um, but I want to just gather just a few. I'm not going to, you don't even have to turn here. I just want, to, want us to gather just a few main themes that I think that we will learn from uh, the church at Thessalonica. And that is that, is that uh, one of Paul's purposes, and one of our purposes should be for each other as an as a, as a elder, as a minister of the gospel, as Brother Isaac and Brother Zach, but also for, for one another. One of his purposes was to encourage each other to continue in the faith despite opposition. There's going to be more and more opposition. I'm talking about here today. There was much opposition there in, in AD 50 or 51, whenever this was written, there's going to be more and more increasing opposition um, from the world today as we try to follow Jesus. And even more than that, and to our shame, there's just the opposition of my own sinful heart. Is that not true with you at times? My own sinful heart just wants to do my own thing instead of following as I should after Jesus. But, but I want you to notice 1 Thessalonians 3. This is one of his purposes for the church at Thessalonica. And this is one of my, my goals for, for us here at Grace Chapel. He says, 
Wherefore, Paul says, wherefore, this is 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith that no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. He wanted them to be established, to have firm roots. And brothers and sisters, young people, older people alike, we must be firmly rooted in God's Word. Because again, we know, we know the, the song and we know the story of, of the wise man and the foolish man, but, but in the sense when, when the winds and waves, the storms of life, the storms of darkness, the storms of of godlessness hit, where will our roots be? Will, will, we, will that we be uprooted or will we be firmly rooted in God's word? So that's, that's a theme that, that Paul wants to get across is to encourage the saints to have them firmly rooted in God's word, to continue in the faith of Jesus Christ despite much opposition. And then another one is that apparently in, in First and Second Thessalonians, it tells us that uh, many of the believers, they started to die. They had, they had lost their lives and um, they were afraid. There was some confusion about details regarding when Jesus would return. And they were afraid, many of them were afraid that, well, they, they've missed it. Um, the ones who had died, I guess they're just left behind. And, and when Jesus comes back, they'll just be passed over. And it's just for the ones who are still alive when Jesus comes back. And so Paul wants them to, uh, to be reassured. And you, you know the, 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 the passage that we're all familiar with in 1 Thessalonians 4, where he talks about when the archangel comes, the trump shall sound um, when Jesus comes back, that uh, the ones who are still here and the ones who have died, they'll meet each other in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So he, goes to, he wants to comfort them and reassure them regarding when Jesus comes back and the fact that Jesus is coming back and that not one of His children will be lost. Praise God. And then finally, the last theme that we'll get is because of the fact that Jesus is coming back, because of the fact that our foundation is that Jesus died and that He rose again and that He is going to return, because of that fact, we are to be about the Master's business. So he, re- he, he wants to admonish them regarding godly living. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he would say, Furthermore then, we beseech you, and brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. And he would go on in just, just practical, godly living. The truths of God's Word should not, will not, if we're truly in Christ, will not make us lazy. It leads to practical, godly living. We're familiar with what Brother Zach calls Paul's final checklist. It's in 
It's in the last uh, chapter of First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians five. That's when when he says, "You know, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God." Hold fast, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. So I pray again, my prayer, brothers and sisters, my prayer is that this will this will whet our appetites to have a fresh. I don't know if excite, excitement's a good word. I have a fresh excitement, a fresh uh, hunger for the Lord, a fresh hunger for His Word, to read His Word, and a fresh, um, a fresh conviction, if we need to be convicted, to, to have courage, to take courage, and to know that we are not alone, that, that Jesus is always with us, that He has promised that He will never leave us or forsake us, and that we can learn from this church, this very young church, that they were imitators of God and imitators of godly men, that they had joy in tribulation, that they were a godly witness despite being a young church, and that they longed for Christ's return. They longed. It's, it's, all of this is under the heading of, we ache for the return of Jesus. But while we ache for the return of Jesus, we hold true to the message of Jesus. We hold true to the fact that Jesus must needs have suffered and risen again. And because of that, believer, you and I can rejoice. Praise God for His Word. Praise God for this, this church. And I pray that it will, uh, it will encourage us. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the message of the cross. I thank You for the message of Jesus, that He had to suffer, or I'm without, I'm without hope, and He did suffer. And He suffered a... Uh, he, he, he did it completely. He finished the work You gave Him to do, and then He rose again. He has defeated death, defeated Satan. And that's our hope. That's our firm foundation. And so, Lord, because of that, as we wait for the return of Christ, may we live for You. May we hold fast to that which is good. May we rejoice evermore. May we pray without ceasing. May we in everything give thanks. May we exhort one another to love and to good works. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.